All right, we're going to do a clinic. Lay your stuff down. Let's stand up and stretch. Turn around a couple times. All right, let me have your attention. In our Western civilization, we have had a propensity for and a preoccupation with study and the pursuit of knowledge. We, we have equated knowledge, the gaining of knowledge, with power. We recognize that those that know, rule. Throughout the world, the Western world, knowledge, the gain pursuit of knowledge, has resulted in the ruling class. Those that are knowledgeable, rule. We know that. We know that instinctively. We know that by precept and example. In the church today, we have been conditioned to the same value system. The church today is worldly. The church today is westernized. We're so secularized, we've almost completely eliminated the supernatural from our perceptions. We've come to a place where we don't anticipate God to operate as God among us. We've come to a place where we really think that the pursuit of study is, has become an end in itself which is a good thing. It's not a bad thing to study this book. It's a good thing. It's an important thing. It's a foundational thing. But to study it without acting upon it is incomplete. Both Jesus and James told us that hearing without doing is incomplete. Jesus came as the Word of God. He came from God, became incarnate, and spoke the words of God for all humanity and all, all time to know the heart and the will of the Father. The words then illuminate the heart and the will of the Father. If you study Jesus' words, you can understand and, be, and have the illumination of the heart of God. But the works illustrate. We not only need the illumination, we need the illustration. We need the word and the works. To say I love you and do nothing about it is an incomplete statement. To say, I'll pray for you and not pray is incomplete. To say that Jesus heals and not pray for the sick is incomplete. To say that Jesus saves and not witness to the lost is incomplete. To say that God is God and Lord of all things and not operate as though He is God and as though He is Lord is incomplete. We have been inconsistent in many of our patterns and practices in the church. What we're about to do is invite the Holy Spirit to come. We're going to ask him to minister to us. We're going to ask him to give us direction. We're going to learn to move this week with the, the Spirit of God. What the Spirit does, we're going to do. But he's the leader. Okay? I never know when I ask him to do these things what he's about to do. There was a day that I worried about it. Now I don't even worry about it anymore. It's so much fun that I just... I like to watch people do weird things. <laughs> Because I like what happens to them afterwards. It's not so much the process as the benefit that's accrued afterwards through the process.
that I like. So let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come, that the Word and the works may become one. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your presence here today. We've sensed you all day hovering over and in this place. We thank you, Lord, that you're like a bridegroom waiting for the bride, that you're anxious and caring and sensitive and loving and generous and warm, and that you know every single human being that's in this place. You know every need they have. And so, Lord, we invite you to come now and minister among us, demonstrating your love and care, ministering whatever ministry you want to minister, O oh God. We're your children and we've come to your table. We know you set a sumptuous table. And so here we are, Lord. We invite you to come now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now just wait on the Spirit. He'll give me direction in a moment. Don't get too religious. Just relax. If you stir yourself up too much, it stops the process. Okay, the Lord is uh, stirring me and he wants to do some healing now. And he's given some words of knowledge. And he's given me a couple of them, but he's given some of the others of you some also. What I want to do is uh, speak two or three of them and pray for some people. And then we're going to kind of dismiss and all of us pray uh, for the rest of them. There's someone that has a condition in the right side of their nose. It's... Uh, right from here down to the just above the nostril it's internal and it's swollen and quite painful on the right side of the nose there's also a, a male here that has a, a herniated testicle and it's really quite painful and that you need healing there's a another male that has a condition in the left shoulder it's down the neck and across the shoulder and uh, again, it's, it's quite painful. I don't know the full circumstance of it, but I can feel it across the back of my back and neck. Uh, the muscles are drawing and they're very tight. That might be me. <laughs> and, <laughs> there's somebody with a swollen abdomen. And the Lord wants to heal you. Lane, is the Lord giving you any other words? Why don't you come and give us? There's also uh, somebody here tonight that's, that has pulled a muscle on the left inside thigh. It's a male. Muscle on the left inside thigh, a male. Difficulty. There's also somebody who has a, a mastoid infection and they've been having a lot of drainage down, particularly in the left side of their throat. 
That's causing a lot of irritation. Mastoid infection with drainage down the left side of the throat. Also somebody with partial blindness, a blind spot in the left eye. It's in the upper, kind of upper left Upper side. left side. Yeah. The left eye. Blind spot in the upper left side of the left eye. And what is that, about seven or eight? Okay, let's do this. All of you that have these conditions, will you come up here and let us pray for you? And the rest of you can sit down for a few moments. Just make your way up here. I'm going to come ask you to just come up and sort of line up across here. Now, normally, except in a clinic situation, we would never ask people to come up on a stage to pray for them. We're begging your pardon tonight. We're wanting to pray for you and minister to you, but we're also wanting to train them on how to pray and minister. So forgive us if this is slightly embarrassing to come up and be prayed for in public. But tough. <laughs> It's, we don't have any other way to do this thing. We're going to pray for these, but before we begin praying, I want to tell you one or two things. First of all, there's sort of a natural pecking order. You know, in our society, you would kind of usually start here on the left. At least you would probably minister to the ladies first and then work your way down the line. There's sort of a natural process that you follow. Is that correct? Is that what you would anticipate? Some sort of a healing line and to follow along. Well, operating in what we would, we would say a supernatural perspective, we don't do that. When we turn and look at a group of people like this, we're looking for indication of the Father's working on an individual. And when we see, either through distinguishing of spirits or through natural means, the Spirit of God already moving on somebody, that's the first person that we would go and minister to. And we do that because of a basic assumption, that we should do what the Father's doing. Now, first of all, anyone that's up here is probably being ministered to by the Father. That's why they're here. We had words of knowledge, supernatural revelation concerning the condition. Of course, there's always a possibility of some confusion on the part of one of these people. They may have heard wrong or thought we said something else or, or, or. It can be any number of combinations. But even if they've come up here misunderstanding, it's quite likely they're going to get healed because God's here and he's ready to heal. And he's ready to heal people that we haven't given words of knowledge about. So we're not at all worried about the success of the exchange. What we're looking for is who's first according to God. Got it? Now, once you begin moving with those that God has singled out and begin ministering to them, an interesting thing begins occurring. Other people become engaged in the process. The Spirit of God begins stirring them and they become prepared. And then you know who next is, and who's next, and who's next. And sometimes you'll see us just moving up and down and around the line, and you'll think, well, why are they taking this long with this person? Why aren't they with the next one? We're taking them, each one, as God is giving us direction. We communicate? Two, we will generally follow procedure that we're going to clarify more in the next few days. Blaine is going to do a, a seminar on healing the body, and he'll be talking about this in depth. And I also, on Thursday night, will be talking about this in depth. But we follow a five-step procedure that helps us in the process of praying for the sick. The only time we bypass that procedure is when the Spirit of God tells us something before we even get to the person. If we do that, then we don't have to bother with the procedure. The procedure is only helpful when we need help. When we don't need help, we just do what God's given us to do. Are we in tune? All right. 
Blaine, do you want to just pick someone? All right. Yeah. Blaine's going to start praying, and I'm going to be the commentator, okay? Brain is interviewing her, asking her what her condition is, making sure that he understands. You notice what he's doing with his hand? Her name's Sylvia. He's asking her if she feels power on her. Can any of you see what we're seeing on her? There's quite a bit of energy moving over her body already. And it's the healing power of God. All Blaine's doing is trying to help her get in tune with it, to realize what's going on. And many times we're not conscious of what's happening to us. Sometimes when people have their hands folded, that will actually act as a protective circle that will stop healing. It's a way of feeling safe. I just had her open her hands because I could see the power of God coming down her body and stopping again and again. You see the energy on her body? Believe me, he's not jerking her around. <laughs> He is trying to hold her up. <laughs> Let me get a chair. Steve, bring the chair up from over here. She's also got a female condition with Lord's Museum. Yeah. Okay. You can feel the power of that come right over your female. We do not practice intentionally this, the ministry of slain in the spirit. We don't think there's any advantage to people falling down. Sometimes when we pray for people, they get in a state like she's in. She, if Blaine hadn't been holding her, she would have fallen. Uh, she'd be there for quite a while. That's the power of God rippling over her right now. Now we're not ignoring her. It's kind of like a pot. You got to let it stew for a while. You got to let it. You see, the Spirit of God is ministering to her. He doesn't always need an agent. Okay? We've done our part, and now we're just allowing the Spirit of God to do His part. Now, can you see the power on this man? You see the energy on his body? See, that's, that spasming that's going on is involuntary. It's just power. Step back about two feet, will you guys? I think we're making it hard for people to see. That's it. That'll help.
feeling pretty good? You feel rested? Very bad. Shoulders. How come? I don't know. <laughs> Make me happy. <laughs> You're not mad at anybody? No. <laughs> no. You just, I love everybody. You just want to sit here for a while longer? Or do you want to get up? Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. How do you feel? Feel better. Can you walk? Mm-hmm. And whoops. <laughs> Your hands so you don't fall down. What did what did Blaine? That's all right. That's just power. When uh, she took a hold of my hand, energy went through her and through me. And it's just the power of God. Now, Sylvia, he prayed for you for uh, a neck condition, wasn't it? Mm -hmm, for the sinus and the, the sinus and the, the neck condition. Your ear thing is draining you down the back. All through the services, I was strangling and choking and trying uh -huh. to hear. Okay. <clears throat> Now, did he also pray for some female problems? He said I had a female condition. The Lord was going to heal. I don't know what that is. Uh huh. Well, the Lord is still healing you. Can you feel that energy? Uh, I, I just feel. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Put your hand over your head. That's it. There you go. Correct some stuff. There you go. It does. Blaine is saying, now in the name of Jesus, I speak to this affliction. He's speaking to some uh, internal organs. And Sylvia is not particularly aware of any kind of a problem, but it's something that the Lord keeps speaking to Blaine to pray for. And can you see the energy? I know it's some distance for some of you. Can you see the energy on these two? Now, if we were praying in our back room or in their living room or something, we might take an hour or so to, to pray over them and to keep asking the Lord for further direction or information. We're allowing them to, <laughs> we're allowing them to stand here because the, 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 the Lord's engaged them. Can you see that? They're, this man is in, in, in tune with God. God's touching him. And to, we would be interrupting it if we stopped it. And all we're doing is allowing it to go on because God hasn't spoken to us. When he speaks to us, we'll either stop it or the Lord will speak to him. And it's just a season of this and then you, then you know it's over. Okay? Now notice what's been going on back here. See this young man in the red jacket? Remember the eyes are the orifice of the soul. And sometimes when we're moving in the spirit realm, the spirit of God will, con will contract and contact someone else. Can you see that happening here? Now look at the lady. The same thing's happening with her. And all it is is that operationally they're yielding to something that they could feel happening in them. Nobody up here is unconscious. They could, they could all hear me. If I ask them to, they could all, he could put his hands down, she could move if she wants to. But they're voluntarily just allowing the Spirit of God to minister to them. And so they're, they're not in any hurry to get over with. That's why I asked Sylvia, I said, do you like this? Does it feel good? And she's, oh, it's wonderful.
Not of all the people up here, Ed's the only one that I know uh, personally, and. I know that Ed's very susceptible to the Spirit of God. Over the last year or so, God's been using him in healing uh, for others as well as for himself. And he's become very responsive to the work of the Spirit. Can you see the Spirit of God on his face, the flickering? That's an involuntary muscular spasm in which the autonomic system responds to presence of God. Now, I don't want to prolong this too long. And so I want, uh, uh, Carol, will you come and uh, Tom and Mary Ellen and Becky and eight or ten of our people come and minister to these that are here? James, will you come and minister? Steve, yeah. Ron, will you come and Susan? Now, what we're attempting to do is teach you how to see the Spirit of God. You watched us go through a chain reaction. We ministered first to a woman, then to a man, then to another man, then to another woman, then to another man. And you can see the Spirit of God at various levels of encounter with various individuals up here. Is it valid? You saw us go through a procedure. You don't know that procedure yet because I haven't given it up. But basically we interviewed them, made a, a decision on how to minister. God bless you. How do you feel? Come here. Your name's Julius? What did he pray for? I have an inflamed ligament in my leg. Uh -huh. I acted up about three weeks ago. I've been seeing a doctor for about a week and a half. An inflamed ligament in the left leg. Yeah, going all the way up into my back. <clears throat> Is it painful? Yeah. I had to. I was doing a lot of exercising. I had to stop exercising for three months. Uh -huh. Is it painful now? My muscle feels a little weird. Uh -huh. How would you check to see if it, if it improved? Um, the pain would be gone out of my muscle. Uh -huh. Okay. Many times when we pray for people with conditions, the Spirit of... Now, see, the Spirit of God is still on his body. He's, having, he's trying to hold himself still. Okay? <laughs> Casual. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? We have these protective instincts. We want to control things. But, see, the Spirit of God is still on him. And so the healing process isn't finished yet. But he got self-conscious and wanted to get off the stage. I only called him back because I could see that the Spirit of God was still stirring him. And I just wanted to take time to find out what the condition was and to give him some what we would call post-prayer suggestion. What I'd encourage you to do is go sit down and just open yourself to the Spirit because that's probably going to go on all night. Okay? Then we'll see how you feel tomorrow. God bless you. How are you? You feel better, do you? How's your stomach feel? Feel better. My nose feels better. Nose feels better and your stomach feels better. You happy you came? Yes, I am. Good. You don't want your money back? No. <laughs> God bless you. Alright. Let's you pray for some people. Let's stand.
I'm just letting you stand and stretch a little bit while I give you some instruction. We're going to give several words of knowledge. I'm only doing this to help the healing process, okay? You really don't need words of knowledge to heal people. But, it's, but God gives them because it's a faith lifter. It'll help the people that you're praying for to believe they're going to be healed. Because they know that God, by supernatural means, pointed them out. Can you see that process? Feel a little better, Ed? <laughs> God bless you. Alright, so I'm going to, to invite the Spirit of God to give us words of knowledge. We'll call them out. Then we'll have the people that have these conditions to stand right where they are in the, in the crowd. Then I want those of you that are seated around them, you'll be seated in a minute, uh, to just sort of stand with them and pray for them. This is so that you can begin ministering right in your neighborhood, as it were. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we invite you now by the Spirit to begin showing us those that you've singled out tonight to heal. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated. Go ahead. Uh, there's somebody here with a uh, tear duct condition that's been blocked off and having a lot of problems with it and a lot of mucus in their eye, particularly in the morning, but it's not functioning correctly. Tear duct condition, a lot of mucus and problem in the morning. Uh, it's uh, in the left eye. It's a tear duct condition. Who has that? Did you stand? Good. All right, those of you around here, stand and begin praying for it. There's also somebody with water behind one of their kneecaps. I think it's, I think it's the uh, left. There's someone with water behind the left kneecap. You have a tear duct condition also? Alright, pray for him also. Bingo, we got two, buddy. We have another one here? Okay, three. And Water behind the left kneecap. Okay, would you guys stand and pray for him? Okay, someone with a severe headache that runs down the right side of the back of the head and over the right shoulder. Pain right through here. Who has that condition? Okay, there's someone back there. Would you stand? Two people back there. Turn around, folks. And pray for those two people. Here's someone here. Is that it? Is there just two or is there three? There's three, isn't there? Here's a fourth one here. All right, right here in the middle, you guys. Turn around. Pray for her. Okay, there's someone with a spinal deformity in one vertebrae. Okay, you have other complications as a result of that. A spinal deformity in one vertebrae. All right, right here. Now, point out the vertebrae. And Debbie, put your hand right on the vertebrae. And pray for it, okay? Speak to the vertebrae. Tell it what you want it to do. Somebody with nodules on their vocal cords, you've been having a lot of raspiness in your voice. Nodules on your vocal cords, lots of raspiness in your voice. Who is that? Is that over here? Is that what you're standing for? Or are you standing for a back condition? Nodules? Okay, back there. All right. Okay, a female with a swollen lymph gland under the right arm 
and pain that extends into the breast. 27? 27 years of age. Pain in the, under the right arm, swollen lymph gland, pain in the breast, and you're 27 years of age. Okay? Right here. Is, is that your family right around you there? Okay, I think we need, we need to get someone else in there to help pray. Um, Sam, would you go make your way in there and help pray for that gal? I want to explain something about immediate family. Sometimes the emotional commitment to the individual is so high that it stops faith. And I want to get somebody in there praying for you that doesn't know you. Okay? Good. Sciatic nerve, and they're having pain running all the way down to the knee. Somebody with a damaged sciatic nerve goes right across here. You have pain running down your left side, clear to the knee. Damaged sciatic nerve. Now see the power of God on this woman? Remember she had the vertebrae? Look at the power of God on her. Power just rippling up and down her body. That's miracle-making power. You need that kind of power if you're going to change a vertebrae, you know? Now look at that. That's power, man. That's the kind of power that raised Jesus from the dead, from the grave. <laughs> I like that. Okay, did we get that, ver uh, that um, sciatic nerve first? Down the left side, clear to the knee. Oh, we did? Okay. All right, we got two of them. And then we had, just a second. And then the second one was? Oh, turned in right foot. Someone with a right foot that turns in. It's a, a male? Turned in right foot. Okay, there we are, back there. Sit down and let them pray for the foot, right from the ankle down, okay? Uh, from the knee down. From the knee down. It's a, it's a condition, there's a name which I don't know, that causes a softening of the cartilage in the sternum. Okay, Tom has an unusual word. It's a condition that has a name that he doesn't know, but it causes a softening of the sternum, the cartilage in the sternum. A softening of the cartilage in the sternum. Who has that condition? The Lord wants to hear you tonight. Where are you? Softening of the cartilage in the sternum. The Lord wants to hear you. <laughs> Give us your sternum. Would it be a dull pain? Okay. Dull pain when you're using the pectoral muscles. If it hasn't been diagnosed, you're feeling pain right here. It's a dull pain. Like the muscle. Okay, there we go. Great. Now, when, when you pray for him, put your hand right at the spot 
and speak to it. All right. Praise the Lord. You want to go back and help him? Yeah, I do. I you better go help him on that one. That one. Mm-hmm. Got more? Oh, yeah. Somebody with a lot of pressure behind their right eye. There's also somebody here with glaucoma. Don't okay. These are two different words. Someone with lots of pressure behind the right eye. Someone with lots of pressure behind the right eye. So somebody here with a degenerative hip condition in the right hip. Okay. There's also a woman with glaucoma. And the Lord wants to heal you. There's someone else with a degenerative condition in the right hip. That's three different words. Pressure behind the right eye. Uh, glaucoma, female with glaucoma, and somebody with a degenerative right hip. Okay, where are those people? Please stand right where you are. Don't be afraid. That's it. There we go. We got the hip. We got the eye. How about the glaucoma? We got one, the eye or the glaucoma back there? Will somebody answer me? Got my tail put away. All right, I don't think we have the glaucoma, do we? Lady, the Lord wants to heal you of your glaucoma. But you must stand. You're 42 years of age. Short brown hair. she's here she just hasn't made up her mind to get well yet see this fellow here after the service you come up to him and he'll pray for you anyway and you'll get well and then we're going to beat you half to death we're not standing all right let's all stand Isn't it wonderful? Don't you like this stuff? I never get tired of this stuff. People getting help. People getting blessed. People getting healed. People getting touched by God. I told you it wasn't safe to come in here. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in your goodness. We thank you for the life of Jesus. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the works evidenced among us. We thank you for your presence. We glorify you, O God. We look forward to the next few days. Move among us, O God. Teach us new things. Equip us for the ministry. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go get some sleep, people. See you tomorrow morning.
Oh, here you are. Come on up. Come. Janice, just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what happened to you last night. Oh boy, a little bit. Oh, oh, there's so much. Um, well, I'm Janice, and I got a leg problem about uh, five years ago. And I was a professional ballet dancer, and I had messed up my Achilles tendons, and I was searching for God very heavily and praying up for Jesus so loud, but I had no relationship with him. And uh, I couldn't get any answers at that time from him at all. So I started a search, and one injury led to another injury that led to another injury till something really bizarre happened five years ago to my legs that the doctors couldn't figure out. Just these incredible pains and pressures and obviously debilitating. So um, February 12th, when I was like totally knocked down, flat out, I craw crawled out to the television set and turned on this station, Channel 45 in Florida. I'm from Fort Lauderdale. And uh, Jan and Paul from Praise the Lord were on. You know, this funny lady with white hair. And, these <laughs> <laughs> and I just, like, I couldn't, I just fell in love with her. And I had, like, mimicked her in the past years and months. And all of a sudden, I fell in love with her and watched it and saw this number on my TV set. And I dragged myself back into the telephone room saying picked up the phone and dialed the number and I, I just all I wanted to do was hang up just hang it up hang it up and this lady was on the other end and I didn't say anything I mean I'm like beyond this <laughs> I didn't want to have to like bring myself to call a number to save my life and I just started crying and at that point I asked Jesus to come into my life and he did and it's the first time because in all my past years I never asked him to come in that's why I never asked him to come in and he opened up his arms to me and he said you've asked me to come into your life and then he opened his arms real wide in front of me and he said now come unto me and then it started and I knew I was gonna get well I mean I knew it I knew it and I all these other things happen. I could stay up here all day and tell you, but last night um, my healing came. And the past five years I kept saying, well, when? When's it going to come? I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. And last night it was happening. I said, so soon? So soon. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had just invited Jesus into my life February 12, 1984. And so the power came through me, and Jesus gave me a word last night that I know I thank you for myself, but I need to clarify it too that Jesus said be sure to thank those who supported you in prayer I mean it was like so necessary for the healing I, he just said it was he's thanking you I mean that was all part of it and uh, and you all saw what happened last night and if you didn't that's what was yesterday and this is what's today <laughs>
That takes all the fear away, doesn't it, to hear that? That's blessed. John? While we're changing uh, microphones, I gotta get control of myself. That really touched me. One of the things that Janet told us in the back, uh, I wasn't here last night. I went home so I could sleep. And I knew I was going to be too excited to, if I hung around and watched what was going on. But uh, I guess there were a couple hundred people left in the room when she was uh, touched. And uh, I think that as I was driving home last night, the, um, you know, the realization, uh, we've been aware for weeks that, that God was going to do some incredible miracles this week. And um, we, you know, he began speaking to us weeks ago and told us what, that he was going to do these things. But uh, there's nothing that prepares you for this. You know, you can, you can see them, you can see, you can ha we've seen them all over the world. But there's nothing, you, there's no way to get prepared for it. When you see someone experience what she experienced last night, um, there's just nothing in our system, nothing in our history, nothing in our background prepares us for that. Many of us, uh, I'm sure, I, I dialogued with one or two this morning, were put off by some of the things they saw last night. They'd never seen anything like that in their lives. Been Christians for years, going in and out of churches, never seen anyone touch or, or shake or experience God in the way that people were experiencing last night. It was so totally foreign to their background that, you know, they, they don't even have a language system for it. So, you know, you label it weird, strange. Which I guess isn't too bad a language system because it, uh, it does, um, you know, make a statement as to, as to uh, the way things are and your, from your perspective. But we've come here this week for, with the intention of, of uh, changing our viewpoints. And so I want you to be patient with the process. Um, I don't think you will be patient with the process, but I want you to try to be. Because it's frightening. It's frightening when you hang around the living God. Now, the God I hung around with for years wasn't all that frightening. He was rather predictable. In fact, programmable. If we did things a certain way, we could anticipate a certain response. If we worked harder, we got more of a response. And we were enjoined to work harder. We were taught to work harder. And for years, I uh, was fond of saying, well, Jesus did all that he was going to do at the cross, and now it's up to us. And I, that, you know, from that point, I would preach messages, uh, encouraging people to harder uh, and higher uh, goals, uh, more consecration, more commitment, uh, do more, and you know, there'll be more blessing. The harder I work, the luckier I get, the more blessed I get. And so a number of years ago when I came home to, uh, to Yorba Linda as a result of the Lord speaking to me, and he took the control of the church out of my hands the very first week. I was, I was praying and I said, Lord, uh, you know, I, had, I remember I had a yellow pad in my lap. In fact, I was flying in a plane and I had a yellow pad in my lap and I said, Lord, what kind of polity structure do you want? You know, I was an expert at that. I th what kind of structure do you want for this church? You know, what, what kind of you want, a Presbyterian approach? What kind of approach, you know? And the Lord spoke to me very clearly and said, John, why don't we just see if I can run the church? <laughs> and I, I was so startled by that, I said out loud, you want to start, you want to run the church, Lord? The stewardess walked by and said, yes, sir. And I said, oh, it's no, nothing, nothing. 
you want to run the church? And I, I remember sitting there, I was so puzzled. You know, I had a theology, like all of us, about the Holy Spirit and, the, and Jesus and the Father and how they, they relate and how the church is founded on, you know, the Lord and that, uh, that the Holy Spirit directs the church and, and leads the church. But I didn't have any kind of a model or any kind of practice of that. Basically, uh, our whole approach, what I was trained in, was uh, to, to, you know, do whatever I wanted to do or whatever I thought God wanted me to do, and then ask God to bless that. Bless us, Lord, for we're, we're about to do something for you, was my approach. You know anything about that? And I had no concept whatsoever of having to wait until God spoke before we did anything. And over the last uh, seven years, I've been learning to wait on God. And I want to tell you something, it's hard to wait on God because it's not natural. It's an unnatural experience. First of all, almost all, everything I've ever learned about leadership implies that a leader is the guy with the answer. And when you're waiting on the Holy Spirit to give you directions, you just don't have the answer much of the time. I remember when the church first started and the Lord said, don't start anything that I don't tell you to start. He made that very clear. And so the very first week we gathered together and people said, where's the nursery? And I said, I don't know. And they said, don't you have a nursery? And I said, I don't think so. And they said, well, what should we do with the kids? And I said, I don't know. Let them, let them run around. And so for the first few weeks, the kids just ran around all the time that we were ministering. After a while, uh, one day, I don't know, six or seven weeks into the process, somebody walked up to me and said, I think God wants me to, to take some of the kids outside and do something with them. I said, great. Two years went by and we didn't have a Sunday school. We had people that would play with the kids and take them out and do things with them after a while, but we didn't have a Sunday school. Finally someone came up and said, I think God wants us to have a Sunday school. And I said, great. Over the last seven years, in fact, until just recently, we've never had a youth group of any sort. In fact, we were a youth group, you know, as a church. <laughs> I was the oldest person in the church for years, except for my mother-in-law. And she wouldn't admit it. <laughs> and so this whole process of learning to wait on God and, and letting God do what He wants to do and letting Him do the things that He wants to do the way He wants to do it. You see, I, I think it's wonderful when God takes somebody out of a wheelchair after five years. But I don't like the way He does it. I object. It's too messy. It's too noisy. It's too emotional. It's too f awesome. It's too frightening. It's too risk-taking. You, you know, I mean, that, there, there are people sitting in wheelchairs and around in this room right now are just devastated by the fact that God took her out of hers. Not that they're against her, her getting healed, but they're just hurt by the process. Like, when's it my turn? And I don't know why God does it that way. I just know he does it. I don't know why he does anything anyway he does it. I haven't figured him out on some of the simpler things, much less the more complex things like this. All I know is that if we don't expect him to do it, he won't do anything. And so we have to make a commitment to study and to opening ourselves, uh, to grasping the full implications of what he's doing and how he's doing it. Um, and to the degree that we can, and then just lay the rest down to Him. Offer it up in faith. Say, Lord, I don't, this is as much as I know or think I know, 
And the rest of it, I don't have a clue. But I like what happens to people when we live this way. Another aspect of, of uh, this whole process is that it constantly leaves you in a state of being vulnerable. See, since you really know, never know the answer and you can't formulate some sort of a methodological approach, a one, two, three, you know, here's what well, you take a deep breath and then you stand up out of your wheelchair. You know, it doesn't work that way. You, you can't do it with a certain sternness in your voice. You can't learn a, a, a pet phrase and, and use it over and over again and expect results. Because the kind of ministry that you're seeing and experiencing this week is based on a different premise. It's not based on dependence on methodology. It's based on dependence on the Spirit. You see, and the Spirit is serendipitous, spontaneous, creative. He does things different ways every time. And you have to learn to just yield to that and be constantly on the verge of looking totally foolish. Constantly. You live all the time on the edge of risk-taking, about to look like a goon at any moment. And I formulated this theory along the way, in order for him to look good, I've got to look like I might not be at any moment. I've got to constantly come and place myself at his use and do those things that he gives me impressions to do, whether I have understanding of them or not. Now that's called risk-taking, F-A-I-T-H, risk-taking. <laughs> Learning to live vulnerably. Learning to live as a learner rather than as a teacher or as someone that's uh, arrived and has control of and understanding of what's going on. We're always learning, always experiencing new dimensions of faith. God has been taking us in recent weeks through things that we'd never even heard of before. New understandings of how He works. I understood for years uh, as a young Christian and then later as I matured that uh, basically uh, evangelism was a, an experience in which people were exposed to certain content. You ready, Lori? Just bring it up. And, um, and so I, I was always very careful, you know, in, in the presentation of the gospel to say everything I knew I was supposed to say. Um, excuse me. Testing one, two, one, two, one, two, three, four, five, six. Sounds like music. I'll finish that before we go on to the material. And I, 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 I was always very careful to present the gospel in, in a certain ordered way so that the, the content would be there. But one night, I, I shared with you last night, one night, uh, one day, the Lord told me there was people to be saved and he just said, call them forward. And that, that couple came forward that I shared about yesterday. But then at a later point, uh, I was preaching one time, and I was just, I, was, I don't remember even the topic I was talking on, but it had nothing to do with salvation. 
And the Lord said, there's a number of people here I prepared to be saved. In fact, there are 11. Tell, them, tell all 11 of them to come forward. Well, that's hard to do. You know that? The Lord gives you this. I don't mean that he handed me a note, you know, that was real. You know, tell the 11 to come forward. But it was something, it was an impression, a, a, a thought that flitted through my mind. And I, and I said, Lord, is that you? And again, the same thought. And then again, it was insistent. And so I said, well, the Lord uh, says that there's, there are 11 people here that are about to be saved. Come forward. Well, nine came forward. I was feeling pretty good after seven, actually. But <laughs> nine came forward, and they were all standing up here. And, and, the, and I was like, I was thinking, well, that's close enough, you know. I mean, you can win penance with that kind of percentage. And uh, I, I was ready to close the meeting. The Lord said, no, I have, I have two more. And uh, he said, wait for them. And I'm standing there, you know, sitting there, actually, I was at the piano, waiting for him to come, and nothing happened. And so I'm looking around in the audience, and all of a sudden, it, I saw people, one was over here, and one was down in here, and it was a, like a light right over their heads. And I said, there are two more that are coming. <laughs> <laughs> so they came. Learning to be a learner. Learning to walk with God. Now, he doesn't turn on the lights every time he, he, we evangelize, but he, occasionally he does things like that. Now, if I had to, to get a, a scriptural text of where, you know, where they look for the lights, you know, and saw, I can't give you that. But when the person came forward, we explained the way of salvation. We gave them the biblical content. I'm not so worried about the means as I am the ends at that, in that respect. Now, I think there are some means that would be immoral and some means would be illegal. But I don't see anything in Scripture that prohibits the spirit being uh, creative. In fact, I, I sense he was very creative. You know, if, uh, if Moses had waited for a biblical text before he let, you know, parted the waters, he'd still be standing there. Because the Bible hadn't been written yet. Can you imagine the dialogue that the Lord says to Mo? Hey, Mo, we're going to part some water here. We're going to what? Show me that in the Bible, Lord. And, and, you know, we can't do anything that's not in the Word. And the Lord says, Moses, we haven't given you the Word yet. You haven't written, the, you haven't done your part. Oh, well, uh, I mean, how do I know I'm... Do you have any experience with this, Lord? Well, I parted some water one time, Lord, uh, Moses. Let's, let's see if I can do it again. And he did. And throughout the scripture, we have references of people having those kinds of experiences in which there's an unprecedented new leading of God. Now, I'm saying that uh, I think you have to be careful here because you can't depart from the counsel of God. If, if what you're doing isn't firmly rooted in scripture, and firmly rooted in the realities of what God uh, provides, then you're in trouble. But you see, I see nothing wrong with God being creative in the way he leads you to do work. After all, we're working with a very creative entity when we work with the creator of the heaven and the earth, aren't we? All right, if you have your notes, which ought to be at the back of your syllabus, find the section that says kingdom of God, and we're going to start on that section right now.
It will be at the back of your notebook unless you've moved it to the front of your notebook. All right, let me explain one more time about your notebooks. Your notebooks have approximately nine sections. Well, actually a tenth. The first nine sections, after the introduction, the preface, and the first eight that are numbered, are your basic syllabus. Then at the end of your notebook are a set of lectures, notes. They're not labeled lecture notes, unfortunately. But that starts with the subject of my personal pilgrimage. It continues with power evangelism. And now we're on the third topic, the kingdom of God. And so if you look at the front of your notebook, you won't find this material. You need to look at the back of your notebook. It's a section that's uh, complete in itself. You can just pull it out, look at it, and work with it. The kingdom of God. For years, I struggled with the theology of the very things that we are experiencing here in this conference. I didn't have a, uh, a basis in anything that I had been taught that would allow for the dynamics of what was happening. And it wasn't until I discovered George Elton Ladd and his teaching concerning the Kingdom of God, and later James Callis, that I came and encountered two people that could give me the kind of theological fiber and substance that I needed to deal with the dynamics of the things that you're experiencing this week in this conference. And so today I want to, I'm drawing heavily from these two men as I address the topic, the Kingdom of God. Keep in mind that the Kingdom of God, loosely translated, means the rule of God in a given time and place. The biblical view of eternity is that of unending time. The Hebrew mindset saw time on a linear basis. They saw time as a continuing forever. Their view of unending time was divided into two stages. This age, which was evil, and the age to come, which was good. The age to come concept came out of Israel's need to understand their real life experience. They were God's people. In the Old Testament they had become a divided kingdom and were eventually led into captivity. Only the two southern tribes had come back home from captivity through restoration. They lived in, in uh, domination of other pagan kingdoms. During this time of the day of the Lord, concept came into existence. It would rush, usher in the age to come and would be the time God would come and vindicate his people. The age to come and the kingdom of God are sometimes interchangeable terms. Jesus demonstrates this worldview and the understanding of these, this concept at Matthew 13, verses 36 through 43, in the explanation of the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Paul uses the same concept and terminology in Romans 12, 2, and in 1 Corinthians 2, 6, and Galatians 1, 4. The kingdom of God is correctly defined, in my opinion, as the rule or reign of God. It is God's authority to rule. This idea is demonstrated at Luke 19, chapter, uh, verses 11 and 12, in the story about the nobleman. The nobleman did not go away to receive a realm to rule over. He already had that. His problem was that he wasn't a king. 
He went away to receive the authority to rule. What we receive is the rule of God. What we seek for is also the rule of God. The present and future aspects of the kingdom then are the rule of God has come into the world in the presence of Jesus at his first coming. His rule will be consummated at his second coming. As Dr. George Ladd put it, we live in the presence of the future. The future age of God has come into the now. We live, as Oscar Kuhlman has said, between D-Day and V-Day. For those of you that aren't Second World War kids like I was, you may not understand that. But from the time of the landing of Normandy and, and the invasion of Europe, the Allied forces, uh, as, in terms of uh, strategy and, and in terms of all of the uh, uh, strategists that were working with it, had all but conquered Hitler. It was uh, just a matter of working their way up through uh, Italy and uh, through France and through uh, up into Germany uh, in a, a matter of a few months before the Allied forces came and totally conquered uh, the German forces. Everyone said the war is all but over. But there was a time, a period of time, between the invasion day, D-Day, and the ultimate victory day that was to come 11 months later. During that period of time, more casualties were uh, incurred than at any other time of the war. And so the enemy fought fiercely, although they fought a losing battle. We live in that kind of time now in God's program. Jesus Christ has established D-Day in his coming through his life, death, and resurrection, ultimate ascension to the right end of the Father. But between the time of his first coming and his second coming, we have this period of time in which the battle must be waged. Jesus Christ has called you and I to fight this battle. The difficulty that we're having in the church today is that most of the church is not even aware that a war is going on. The rest of the church that's aware is preoccupied with how to remain a civilian in time of warfare. <laughs> but in reality, civilian or no, aware or not, you are the victim of an unseen enemy that is ruthlessly devastating the community of God week to week, month to month, year to year. And so whether you want to acknowledge it or not, you are the victim of an unseen force a malevolent enemy, Lucifer and all of his hordes. Now we need to understand this dynamic of warfare if we were under, understand in the proper uh, dimension the work of the kingdom of God. When Jesus came, he was announcing the kingdom. The kingdom is here, the kingdom is near, the kingdom is upon you, the kingdom is with you. The kingdom represented by the king had come. War had been established between two kingdoms, the kingdom of God represented by Jesus Christ, the kingdom of Lucifer represented by his hordes of uh, followers, the demons of hell themselves. And this warfare continues till today. Jesus Christ has given us the keys of the kingdom. He's given us the authority and the power to rule over the work of the enemy. But if we do not utilize that authority and power, if we do not recognize that authority and power, if we don't exercise that authority and power, that authority and power is of no use to us. And what we have today is an army that has never been armed. We have an army that's never even reported for duty, that's never gone through basic training, that's never received the basic training that's needed to even fight the good fight and do the good deed and work the works of Jesus. But that's the bad news. The good news is that today God is activating that army. 
And like a great sluggish giant, it's being called to warfare. Now, in order to enter that warfare, we need to understand correctly the issue of the power and the authority of the kingdom, which is referenced in Luke, the ninth chapter, verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure all diseases. Does it say all in your Bible? All demons and to cure all diseases. In Luke 9.1, Jesus gives his disciples power, dunamis, and authority, exousia, to cure diseases. According to Acts 1.8, everyone can receive power from the Holy Spirit. Power is the ability, the strength, the might to complete a given task. Authority, exousia, is the right to use the power God has given. For instance, the policeman on the corner does not have the power to stop cars. He does, however, stop them because he wears the badge, carries the gun, and wears the uniform. The power then is vested in him by a higher authority. You and I have been given the badge, the gun, and the uniform by the Lord Jesus Christ, but we have not learned to wear them and to utilize them in the way that we've been called to. The centurion understood this issue, referenced in Matthew the eighth chapter, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion uh, came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed and, and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I did not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was astonished. And he said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. Now, the centurion understood authority. He was a man under authority and a man over others. He knew how to receive orders. He knew how to give orders. The difficulty that we have is we've not learned to operate in either dimension because we've misunderstood our call to Christ in the first place. Most of, of us have been pre, uh, preoccupied with what I call a cosmetic Christianity in which we thought that the key for our Christian experience is to be good. For years I've been focused as a young Christian in the church on, on my behavior and frankly focused on my behavior I was in a constant turmoil because my behavior was never good enough. On the best day of my life, I wasn't good enough. And when I came to Christ, I came because I wasn't good. And here I am, I've come to Christ, I've been washed in the blood of Jesus, but from time to time, I wasn't good. I still wasn't good. At least I wasn't good enough. And so my heart always betrayed me. I always felt convicted under that kind of message and under that kind of emphasis because I had focused my entire Christian perspective on trying to be good. After a number of years in frustration, one day I was uh, kneeling uh, out in the, in, actually it was up in the mountains, and I was kneeling on the side of this hill, and I said, oh God, help me. And the Lord spoke to me rather clearly, actually out of the, the Gospel of John, and he said, well, since you can do nothing without me, how much help do you want? I said, Lord, 
I need your help. I'm not being very good. He says, I know that. I understand that. And I, don't you want me to be good, Lord? He says, yes, I want you to be good. Well, Lord, then you've got to help me. He says, well, how much help do you want? And I said, well, more than I'm getting, and I'm frustrated right now. How about it? You know? I mean, I want to be good. I mean, I joined up. Didn't you join up because you wanted to be good? I wanted to be good. That's why I joined up in the first place. But here I had been working all those years trying to be good, and I wasn't good. Oh, I was gooder than I started out, but I wasn't, still wasn't good because as good as I was getting, I wasn't good enough. I couldn't sustain it long enough. You know, sometimes I'd, I'd go seven or eight minutes without sinning. But, <laughs> but it still wasn't long enough. Some of you say, really? Seven or eight minutes? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And the Lord spoke to me very clearly that day. And he said, John, the issue isn't being good. The issue is being God's. Just come to me. And I'll provide goodness for you through my program. Just come and love me. Seek me with all your heart. Now, that was nearly 15 years ago. I went on for the next five or six years not understanding what he had said to me that day. Battling the battle. Trying to be good. Because I had been focused from the very earliest understanding on what I now call a cosmetic Christianity. Now, I'm not saying, and I'm not arguing for sin, but I am saying this. My focus these days is not on trying to be good. Confidentially, I can tell you that I'm gooder than I've been in the past. But it's not because I'm focused on trying to be good. It's, fo it's because I'm focused on Him, and I'm focused on doing His bidding. And it doesn't leave a lot of time for me and my sinning. The centurion understood authority. He was a man under and over others. Most of us are confused by the whole dynamic of how we are to live the life of faith. We're kind of, kind of like Clark Kent's, unable to, get, to find the phone booth and can't get the uniform on. And when we do get it on, it's too baggy, and we look silly. And we just really can't relate to the superhuman effort that it would take to do the things that Jesus did. Many of you have, uh, in the recent years have probably seen The Great American Hero. I think that's a terrific uh, uh, series because it so uh, clearly illustrates the ineptness of, of someone trying to do these supernatural things. I found that in my uh, endeavors to follow the Lord that quite often I run into walls and, and do the same kind of crazy things that that guy does. I haven't learned yet fully to operate in the power that God's made available. But thank God, as I look back over the last few years, I'm better than I used to be. I'm able to do more now in the, in the Spirit and walking in intimacy with God than I was ever able to do when I was attempting to learn through methodological means the kinds of principles and the kinds of approaches that I was uh, being encour encouraged to look to. Now the problem further is the confusion with the church. If the dynamic concept of the kingdom is correct, the kingdom cannot be identified with the church. The kingdom is the dynamic rule of God. The kingdom cannot be identified with his subjects. The church is the people of God who live under and are governed by God's rule. They are the community of the kingdom, but never the kingdom itself. We, as well as the disciples, belong to the kingdom, but we, are, uh, we or they are not the kingdom. 
The kingdom is the rule of God. The New Testament does not equate believers with the kingdom. The kingdom created the church. The church witnesses to the kingdom. It cannot build the kingdom or become the kingdom. It can, however, witness to the acts of God's kingly rule in the past, in the present, and in the future. The church, then, is the instrument of the kingdom. We are the people of the king, but we are not the kingdom itself. We are his instruments in that he works, the works of uh, the kingdom are performed through us. Thus, the purpose of the church is to witness about what is, God has done, what he's going to do, and what he is doing in the present. It is also to be the instrument through which God works out his purpose in the world. We have come then, like Jesus, to do the will of the Father. That the Father's will would be done on earth, even as, as it is in heaven. One other aspect of this uh, issue of warfare is the war itself. Dr. James Callis in his book, The Real Satan, uh, says, a war is going on, cosmic war. Jesus is the divine invader sent by God to shatter the strengths of Satan. In that light, the whole ministry of Jesus unrolls. Jesus has one purpose, to defeat Satan. He takes seriously the strength of the enemy. Matthew says the same thing in an, in an uh, often misunderstood verse in the 11th chapter, the 12th verse. Jesus states that from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven, or God, has suffered violence, and men of violence take it by force. Unfortunately, this translation is an inadequate one. A better translation might be, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven, or God, is being violently treated, and violent ones are trying to plunder it. There is no word in the Greek text for, for men. The word is violent, beastai. It is a plural word and can simply be translated violent ones. The word take, which I have translated plunder, means to seize by force, to take suddenly and vehemently, or to claim for oneself. Now the way it works is that there is a tug of war going on for men. The kingdom of God on one hand and the kingdom of Satan on the other. We are born under, by virtue of uh, having been born in a fallen state, under the kingdom of Satan. Jesus Christ has sent you and I to rescue those that have been taken captive as the result of the fall of Adam and Eve and as a result of the ensuing race of fallen people being born generation after generation. And so we go and proclaim the word of Jesus, proclaim the word of salvation, calling men, as a rescue party, calling men to the salvation that we know in the kingdom of God under the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is a constant interaction between two kingdoms. We represent the kingdom of God, and we go into the world preaching the gospel, calling men and women to salvation, and rescuing those that have been taken captive at the will of the evil one. Sometimes that captivity is demonstrated not only in the loss of, uh, of, of salvation and contact with God, but in other kinds of dominion. There's bondage, there's uh, uh, affliction going on, there's physical problems, emotional problems, social problems. Sometimes they are operative in the realm of the spirit, sometimes they're operative in the, in the natural realm. But whatever the level of contamination and control, people are under the jurisdiction and the, the power of the enemy. You and I have been called then to set the captive free. 
to call them out of darkness, to break the power of satanic control over their life and bring them into relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that they can be ruled by him for now and all of eternity. That's the message that we've been called to proclaim. That's the work that we've been called to do. That is the deed that must be done. This is the gospel of the kingdom that must be preached through to the uttermost parts of the world, to every people, race, uh, and uh, group in the entire world. This is the message that we must proclaim. Come out from under the dominion of Satan and come to Jesus Christ and know him as Lord and God of your life. Now there is constant interaction between the violent ones and you and I. Uh, we have, because of our worldview, because of the basic secularized perception of Scripture, because of materialism, because of secular humanism, and many other influences, have come to a point where we operate in an almost entirely empirical realm. It is very difficult for we in the Western world to perceive or understand anything that is supernatural, non-substantial. Our perceptions of things are heavily controlled by our, our Western materialism. And as a result of that, we find foreign, distasteful, and foolish the things of the Spirit. The one reference point for we evangelicals is the born-again experience. And there we have a, a pillar, uh, as it were, of supernatural dimension in which we understand the dynamic in which God can uh, invade, come out of the cosmic world and invade the heart of an individual and cause them to become born again, washed anew, refreshed in the blood of the Lamb. We understand that and we relate well to that, but it's the only area that we relate well to as evangelicals. We have difficulty understanding God operating in any other dimension, and we find that uh, we are often confused by God operating in a supernatural way in a natural setting and put off by it. I find that within my heart there is an antagonism toward the work of the Spirit. I have to constantly guard my heart because I don't like the way God does things. It's messy. It's confusing. It puts heat on me. I don't like to have to answer these questions over and over again. I don't like the incessant barrage that comes from the rest of the Christian community that's always saying to me, why are you letting go on in your church? Why do you let people shake and fall down like that? I said, because I can't stop it, that's why. <laughs> because if I could have, I would have by now. Because I find within myself a resistance to the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as shameful as that is, I must confess it. And I have to confess it daily to him and constantly give myself over to his leadership and to his dominion. Because even though I am born of the kingdom, I don't like it very much. I don't like the rule of God in my life. There is something in me that fights that response and is not responsive to his lordship. Do you know that something? You liars, you do too. <laughs> you have the same problem I have. Now this text that we're referring here in Matthew eleven twelve means that from the time of John the Baptist proclaimed the kingdom was coming, which was a declaration of war on Satan, until now, at the point when Jesus was teaching, the kingdom rule of God was suffering violence. Violence is passive. 
Violence is coming from an outside force, and violent ones, the demonic forces which were resisting the advance of the kingdom uh, by the word and the works of Jesus, are plundering it. This kingdom, in short, the violent ones, demonic forces, are trying to reclaim what they have lost. They are fighting back. What we have is a cosmic war. We have power encounter going on daily. The key to Jesus' preaching was the recurring theme of the gospel of the kingdom. This was central the central message of Jesus. Wherever Jesus went, he preached this message, the words of Jesus. He not only said it, but he demonstrated it in his miracles, the works of Jesus. Last night I told you that the words and the works are interrelated, that the words illuminate the nature of the kingdom, but the works illustrate the nature of the kingdom. We must have both the words and the works. If we have the word and the works combined, then we have the full revelation of the kingdom at a given time and place. How do you know where the kingdom is? You can tell the kingdom when you see the works of the kingdom going on. When you hear about people coming out of wheelchairs, when you hear about people seeing that we're blind, lame that are walking, deaf that are hearing, dumb that are speaking, when you hear about the poor having the gospel preached to them, when you see people coming out of darkness into light, when you hear about a community that is walking under the favor and under the blessing of God, when you hear about a community that's being raised up to preach the kingdom of God, when you hear about the... the those that are, that are in any kind of way incapacitated by Satan being delivered and brought out of captivity, you know the kingdom of God is working in that community. We need the word, but we need the works also. We need both the illumination and the illustration for the fullness of the kingdom to be demonstrated in the community today. Have you got it? Amen. Let's take a break. We'll be back in about 20 minutes.